Good morning. How's everyone doing? Welcome to Hill City Church. Oh, let's not do that again. I want to sing this one more time, Marcy, the, the bridge. Terry, listen to those words. Man, let those words, I know we're just coming in, man, but let those words, just, just meditate on those, let them speak to you, where God just goes through that darkness in your life, that place where you were, amen, and just can change you from the inside out. So I want us to worship this morning. We're going to praise, and then we're going to go into worship. Welcome. Be the leaders this morning in worship. Let's start it right now, amen? Let's go. Come on, Marcy. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain you set us free, fighting for the furthest heart you gave your life for all to see. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain you set us free, fighting for the furthest heart you gave your life. Carry us, carry us, cover us, cover us, carry us, carry us, cover us, cover us. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain set us free, fighting for the furthest heart you gave your life for all to see. Tearing through the veil of darkness, breaking every chain set us free, fighting for the furthest heart you gave your life. Carry us, carry us, cover us, cover us, carry us, carry us, cover us, cover us. Come on, sing it out. Your love is say like midnight last night um, from a ladies retreat if I can hear my ladies <laughs> so there were 41 ladies and uh, we went to Evergreen and we just even from the very beginning let me tell you um, that every single lady in that place was just ready and prepared to hear from God and they came and they came just waiting to see what he had to say to them. And um, we joined hands as we started and we prayed and then we ended with prayer for each other. And um, I think the one thing that really spoke to me, um, I mean, I was so blessed by all the ladies that came and some of them were not from our church. Some of them were just new, just checking out God. And that's totally fine. That's, that's where we want people to feel like, yeah, come hang out with us, you know? Um, But man, the one thing that really spoke to me is um, two things. I'll be quick. <laughs> um, there was a little old lady that was like 85 that spoke, and she talked about wherever your two feet are, that is where your mission is. And sometimes we make it so complicated, and we want to do something so big, and so we're like, the small's not enough. But you just asking a new person to coffee, 
is big. Because <laughs> you never know the impact that's going to make on their life and then someone else's life and down the line. And um, then the other thing was just that um, we all have these secret sorrows, these deep things in our hearts that we want so bad to happen. And lots of times those are the things that we try to control the most, right? And um, it was just talking about giving that to God, giving that timing and every bit of that secret sorrow that you wouldn't even speak normally, that you would give it to God and that you would feel vulnerable enough to share it with a friend, to share it with someone over coffee because then they can carry that with you and they can wait with you and then they can, they can rejoice with you when it happens. And so we're going to sing the song, It Is Well. And today, for some reason, it resonates with me a lot more because I was thinking of that. So let's think of those things, those things that, that it's so deep in your heart. And you're like, God, why? God, why have you not answered this prayer? God, why have you not come through for this yet? But we're saying why on our own timing because we just want it now and quick. And we don't want to wait for the process. And it's all about the process with God. Amen? So you guys, let's just worship together. And let's think about that. And let's give that to him. And let's say, God, your timing your timing is good. I'm going to trust that. And that is good with me. That's good with my soul, God. Deep in my soul, God, I trust you. So let's just worship together. The grand earth has quaked before. Moved by the soundless voice. And the seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. Sing it through it all. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well.
desperate for you today. God, let us have courage in you. Let us have faith to step into the promise that you placed on our lives, God. To know who you are to know that you know that we're right where we're supposed to be, right in the palm of your hand. God, let your spirit just fill this place right now.
a little deeper into his presence today, church. He's here right now. You can feel him in this room. That feeling that you're feeling, that is the spirit of the almighty God connecting with the spirit that he placed inside of you. All you have to do is take one step towards him and he'll meet you. 
wrap you in his arms. Jesus died so you would have a way back to him and he's here. Take that one step today, closer to him in his presence. Confess it with your mouth. grateful for your presence this morning. We're grateful for your spirit. And God, well, I want to spend the next 30 minutes just being in your spirit, God, listening to your word and growing this morning. God, we invite Jesus and your Holy Spirit to move in this place. God, may we just have receptive hearts this morning and minds to be changed by you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand as you see it. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, team. Woo. We have a good worship team, don't we? Man, who's a, man, it was a, I survived the weekend with my kids. No, just kidding. Any other, I was thinking of you, Chase, you know. Any other dads or husbands, spouses of the women that went? You guys doing all right? You guys okay? I need a hug. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was, uh, it's not about me. Say, it's not about me. <laughs> I got home last night. I was like, babe, how you doing? She's like, really good. How are you? I don't know. I'm, I'm really bad. I don't know. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. I was laughing though with my diet. <laughs> so, do you, like, any other dudes out there that cook? Well, I mean, that's not bad. You know, you kind of cook. Mark's like, yeah. Chicken nuggets in the oven doesn't really count. 
Syria. <laughs> so usually my wife like makes some food and she just left on Friday. My wife, Megan, I just want to say a shout out to my wife for leading the IF conference and the ladies retreat. Where's the camera? Love you, babe. And just, uh, man, it wasn't just Megan, she'll tell you that, um, but just leading it and then just having an amazing team behind her. I know that the, the ladies really appreciated everything that went into it. But anyway, back to my story. So Friday night, what do I have for dinner? A little Caesar's pizza. I'll walk you through this. Then I said, hey, let's go to Wendy's and get some Frosties. I was at John and I'm like, yeah, we're not doing the junior Frosties. We're doing the small Frosties. And the kids are like, what, a small Frosty? And they're like not that big, but they're pretty big. For breakfast, we had uh, Cocoa Krispies. And uh, <laughs> this is getting worse. And then my daughter pulls out the Frosties from the night before and has that for dessert for breakfast. I'm like, ah, it's fine. She broke off the spoon in there whenever I'd done that, you know? And then uh, lunch was a <laughs> hot dog at Costco. <laughs> it was good. Only one, only one cup of Sprite, though, you know? And then I was like, ah, this is ridiculous. So we had salmon for dinner. So we finished strong from Costco. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't do pizza again. I've done the hot dog. I've done the pizza. I've done the cereal. What else is there? Chicken nuggets, I guess, Mark? Mac and cheese? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, we survived. No, it's good. Ushers, why don't you come forward? Um, quick announcement. We have a, uh, uh, we, we were joking in the circles. Next week is uh, burritos for Monique in the front. Um, she doesn't need a lot of burritos. So actually, that was the wrong, it's the other way around. They're selling burritos. For, uh, for the students are going to uh, the, uh, to Costco? What? Oh, Desperation. They're not going to Costco. That would be really great though, right? No. Um, I made it out of Costco, by the way, on $60. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> I know. Thank you. I, I deserve a hand. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, $60? That's like, is that even possible? Um, a lot of restraint. But uh, the, the students are going to the Desperation Conference in uh, June 22nd-ish, 20th through the 22nd. I only know that because that's our anniversary. Um, but uh, that's, uh, um, that's uh, they're going to that in June, so we've got plenty of time, but they're going to start the, the fundraising uh, next Sunday, um, and we'll have some more details on that. But they'll be selling burritos. Um, I usually buy a burrito and then give like a big tip on top of it, hint, hint. So, um, you know, get your burrito, don't be like, oh, can I get some change for that? Just have them keep the change. Um, so really excited about it. It's a life-changing experience for them. And um, I think that's it. I got quick announcements. So we get to, uh, to have Pastor John uh, speak and uh, go from there. God, thank you for this day again and um, that, uh, that I'm alive and well um, after this weekend. No, I'm kidding. But God, thank you for your presence. And um, God, we look forward to your word right now. And we uh, at church, I just encourage you to prepare your heart, prepare your mind your soul and everything in you to, to engage and listen um, to the words that are spoken by our amazing pastor and uh, speak through John this morning and um, we pray for your presence to just flow through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Watch this video.
I like when the bass drops. I like when the bass drops. Drop that bass. Good morning, good morning, how are you guys doing? Man, I hope you guys are awake by the worship. That was so good, you guys, guys killed it. I don't know if you should say killed it in worshiping God, but it was very good. It was very good. Uh, if this is your first time, my name is John, and so glad that you're here. I hope that you guys can get connected. These are some of the best people that I know, and I know I say that, but I really believe it. It's amazing what happens when you just open up a little bit of your life. You do. This, uh, this life is not meant to do alone, carry alone. It's, it's, it's a, you know, who cares if you can put up a great facade but inside you're rotting. Like, what's the point in that, right? So um, we're going to move forward. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 1. All right. We celebrate the Word of God here every week. We believe it's the power of God. We believe there's a message to set us free. And the biggest thing, it reveals Jesus. And it's going to be good. And we're continuing this series. It's called Meet Jesus. Say, Meet Jesus. I know you, you come to church, you're like, all right, I got it, John, meet Jesus. You know, but every week, I, we, what we do, I, I have one end message every single week. It's, like, it's, it's interesting to be a, a speaker because at the end of the day, I speak the same thing over and over and over again. Right back to Jesus. Right back to Jesus. And uh, if you guys are in need, if you guys are in the, uh, just like suffering in your soul, in your mind, I'm telling you, meet Jesus. That's where your peace is comes from. That's where healing flows. We really believe that God can heal us. God can change our hearts. We can't do it without Him. So if you have uh, your book in uh, Mark chapter 9, it's also going to be up there. But I'm going to read real quick and we're going to run into this. And I'm going to read it. And, and he said, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it comes with power. He's talking about the resurrection. And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter, James, and John, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. Here, Jesus takes his best friends. He actually has three of his closest guys that he takes up to this high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Now, I'm going to speak about that in a little bit. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, like no one, no one on earth could bleach them. I, thought, I was like, that's interesting. Right? And there appeared to them Elijah, Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, like, this is like, um, is it good that we're here? Like, he's, he's like wondering, should I be here? Is, that, is it good for me to be here? Let us, uh, then he says something dumb, of course. Let us make three tents, one for each of you and one for Moses and Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for he was terrified. Have you ever said some dumb stuff when you're like scared or when you're caught off guard? That's what Peter's doing. He's just making stuff up, right? And, uh, and a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And in Matthew, talks about how they all fell to the floor. And, after, and suddenly, looking around, when they got up, they saw, they didn't see, and no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one. Say no one what they have seen until the Son of Man has been risen from the dead, right? So, so they don't understand what's going on. What do you mean dead? You just showed me that you were God. What do you mean dead? Verse 10, so they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what the rising of the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say, first Elijah must come, and then said to them, Elijah does come to restore all things. And how is it written, the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written 
of him. So when we're going through this thing all about Jesus, and we're meeting Jesus, and we're and and and, it, and it's interesting because this book is the first book in the New Testament written by this guy named John Mark. And if you ever studied John Mark, he was the guy who got kicked off of Paul's ministry team. So Paul the Apostle, he was pretty hardcore. John Mark's like, I'm not going there. It's kind of you know, it's crazy over there. We might die over there. So Paul's like, you're off the team, right? So Paul kicks John Mark off the church planning team. John Mark is all alone, and he breaks up the band, right? It was Paul and Barnabas. They were going from place to place on missionary journeys, starting churches, like doing their thing. They're just entrepreneurs. They're on fire for God. And then here's John Mark. He kind of stutter steps, and Paul's like, you're off. You're, you're off the team. You're off the band, Oko, you know? So he breaks up the band. Right? And then John, Barnabas goes with John Mark, and Paul picks up Silas, and they do their own missionary thing, because Silas was hardcore like Paul. And, and, and immediately they go to jail and get beaten, of course, right? But this is John Mark, who has written this gospel. He is a disciple of Peter. And they're just giving you some backstory about there. And, 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 and today, what I want to do is I want to ask some rhetorical questions that you might have asked or thought of already about Jesus. Questions about Jesus. Why the cross, right? That's the, that's the main thing. I couldn't think of any other title. It's pretty lame, but it's just straight up. Why the cross? Why the cross? Why suffering, Jesus? Why the sin is, is questions about sin, right? For many of us who grew up in church, when we think about sin, we think about Genesis, Adam and Eve, when they got evicted from their home in the garden, separated from God, and they lose this face-to-face -face relationship with God. But here is the question. Why did Jesus have to die to bring us back to God? That seems really weird. Anyone ever asked that question? Like, why? That's kind of strange, right? I, I asked it. I asked it the same question. It seems like overkill. Why couldn't God been like, I, you know, just for, I forgive you, Adam. I forgive you, Eve. It was definitely Eve's fault, right? No, he didn't say that. Why couldn't God just look at their sin and say, it's not a big deal. I'm not holy like that. Let's just move on, right? Let's just move on. Why did Jesus have to come to earth, live a perfect life, and, and, and then be tortured? crucify and die on a Roman cross. What is that all about? What is that all about? And, and so I want to start with this uh, breaking down the scripture. In the beginning, Jesus says, after this transfiguration moment, he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. It's interesting he says that. Peter declares in chapter 8 that Jesus is Messiah, right? He says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God, and it's just this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this high moment of just beauty. And Jesus is like, you're right. God revealed that to you. Peter's like, yes, I finally said something right. Peter's like the kid in class who always raises his hand and says the wrong answer, right? And finally, he got the answer. He's the son of the living God. Yes, Peter, you got it right. And, and then everything begins to change, like a new chapter in the book, right? Jesus goes from trying to convince these guys that I'm God, then he starts to say, I must die, I must suffer. And for the rest of the book, rest of the book of Mark, he makes everyone uncomfortable by talking about his death. He's like, it's weird, if you just hung around someone who would constantly talk about their death, it's just uncomfortable. Like, let's talk about something else, right? And Jesus is like, don't worry, I'm going to die and suffer on a Roman cross. And they're like, uh, um, the weather's nice, right, Jesus, right? And so this is what's going on. Jesus is constantly talking about his death, and they're like, can we talk about something else? And now Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this high mountain 
where he was transfigured before them. The, the word transfigured in, in Koine Greek means metamorpho, which means, in that word is the word we get metamorphosis, right? And metamorphosis is it's, it's Jesus is experiencing a physical transformation in front of them. Just imagine you're on this high mountain with Jesus, you're high-fiving with Jesus, like they just brought us three, like we're the close ones. They're, they're feeling good about themselves, and Jesus like starts to morph. Right? You're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Right? Right before their eyes, his appearance begins to change. And God in the flesh, who looks like man, turns to God in the flesh, who looks like God. For the first time, they've seen Jesus physically look like God. And they are freaked out. And they say, and of course, Peter, it says, Peter was terrified. And anytime you see in the Bible, when they see the glory of God, when they get a glimpse of who God is, they are always terrified. They are. And I wonder one day when we go to heaven, you know, we're going to be like, I got some questions for you. I think we're just going to be terrified. <laughs> we're going to go there and like, we're not going to have, we're not going to be all pompous like, I got some stuff for you, Jesus. Let me ask you about some Jesus. No, we're just going to be terrified. We're going to be like, oh, can I build some tents or something? We're going to say some dumb stuff, right? But we're, it's as if they're terrified. Terrified because God, in that moment, Jesus was giving them a glimpse of future glory, of their future, of what it means to live and glorify what it what one day will be. And he was glowing like a light, and he finally saw, let them see who he was. Not he was more than a carpenter, more than a prophet, more than a good teacher. He was more than this Jewish guy who was just growing up this religious leader, this political leader, but he will say, I am creator God, look at me. Look at me. And he was enveloped by glory. And they all, and it all started from confession. It's interesting, when we start to confess Jesus as our Messiah, as God, what starts to transpire? God begins to reveal his glory in our life. And that's the beginning of our walk with God, is a confession of faith, a confession, and that Jesus is Messiah. So then they see Moses and Elijah, and then, which connects them to the Old Testament. They grew up with these this message of the Torah of Moses and Elijah, and both of these men saw God on a high mountain in glory. And once again, in the New Testament, they see Jesus in glory, God in glory, then they see Moses and Elijah who also saw God in glory. And now Peter, James, and John are in on it, seeing God face to face. Think about it. Connecting to Exodus, connecting to Samuel, these books in the Bible, the Old Testament, then it's unveiling, it unveils in their hearts humanity, but it unveils their history of what they've always known. Now verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, super excited, high five, and we're like, we just saw God face to face. Just imagine, you were like the first three guys that has ever seen God face to face, more than Moses, more than Elijah, you were the very first three. They're coming down the mountain. They're excited. They're going to tell everyone. And then Jesus turns to them and says, Tell no one. Like, what? He says, Tell no one what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. But, but I just saw you, God. I saw you face to face. And in the middle of all this excitement, he's tell no one. But why, Jesus? Don't you want people to know you? Isn't that the point? Like, isn't that like what we learned in Sunday school, Jesus? Don't you want people to know you? Don't you, don't, don't you want to let them in on your purpose? I would, I would want to run down and tell everyone what I saw first. Because I like being first. Anyone like being first? 
Like, uh, I'm the first to watch the movie, or I'm the first to get this, or that, or the other thing. Oh, I can tell you all about this. I could, I ask God, just like, I like to study things so I know about odd stuff first, right? And then I don't know about you, that's, it's just that's the pride of me, that's how I go, right? But sometimes I use, learn useless information just to say, oh yeah, let me talk about that, which I have nothing to know about, right? But they want to be first. They want to come down the mountain, tell, talk all about Jesus. But Jesus says, don't talk about what you saw until I raise from the dead. And then they turn around to Jesus. I can just imagine, who said anything about the dead? I just want to talk about you being God, right? Who says anything about the dead? What do you mean the dead? Is this a test? Is this an analogy? Are you trying to tell me a story, Jesus? Because you tell a lot of stories that I don't understand that I need to come back to you, you know? What do you, what do you mean the dead? And, and to understand this, you need to grasp Israel's thought on the Messiah. See, Israel's Messiah, prophecies of the Old Testament talked about the coming of the Messiah. And people believed that the Messiah would show up through a, like a big military power or a political movement. And he would purge Israel's enemies, destroy their oppressors, establishing a kingdom. And that Israel as a country would reign forever powerful. Even today, Jewish Faith does not believe Jesus as Messiah because he didn't do that. They don't believe in Jesus because Jesus failed. They believe Jesus failed. He's just a false Messiah who failed. They're still waiting for Messiah. But we know that Jesus didn't fail because he didn't come for military takeover. He didn't come to establish a physical kingdom. But, but through suffering and death, Jesus won by losing. It's interesting. Won by losing. Think about that. This doesn't make sense to Jewish people. It doesn't make sense to most people, right? What do you mean won by losing? What does that mean? How can you defeat oppression and evil through suffering and death? Even though the prophecies of Isaiah talks about a suffering servant Messiah, it doesn't make sense to just human nature. So if Peter, James, and John started to scream out when they were coming down the mountain, Jesus is the Messiah, I saw him as God, people would have tried to grab him and say, and make him king right there because they had a different Messiah in mind. And Jesus did not want that to happen. So then, why did Jesus have to come? Once again, I bring you back to the first question. And I'm going to bring you back to chapter 8, verse 29. It says, Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are Christ. You are the Messiah. And he strictly charged them, once again, to tell no one. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. I think we hear that so much in church that we don't understand the enormity of that. That you must be suffer, rejected, be killed, to rise again. Jesus did not say the Son of Man would suffer. No, he said he must suffer. Say must suffer. Those are really interesting words, must suffer. Like that, I thought Christianity was about not suffering. Like once I say the prayer, like everything's going to be good. Ask a Christian if that's true, right? There's an outside belief that there's Christianity like, now I have all the answers, things are going to be easy. Yay, Jesus. No, that's, that's not what the Bible ever says, right? It never says we get to walk with God, but we will suffer. It says all of us have suffered because Jesus, if Jesus must suffer, how can we just say, oh, oh now it's going to be like lollipops and roses. It's going to be great, right? I just need to wear my Christian t-shirt every day just to let people know how Christian I am. 
No, he says, no, that's not, that's not Christianity. It's following after Christ. He says we, that he must suffer, be killed. He has to die. It's a necessity. Because the ultimate plan is not to set people free from Rome, the tyranny of Rome. The ultimate plan was to set people free from the tyranny of sin and death. Totally different. Which brings us back to the first question. Why did Jesus have to die? And the answer is this. The cost of sin. The cost of sin. I'm going to break that down. And it's going to be super simple. So I want you to understand your own sin and my sin. Don't, don't ever try to call out someone else's sin when you're not dealing with your own sin. I think it's interesting, but it's easiest to do. Because, who, you know, it's easier to, like, bounce, you know, I'm, you know, you like to bounce things off you and to see how people, you know, I'm not bad as Paul Frank, right? Like, man, he wasn't a good dad this week at all. I did way better, right? Like, I cooked a meal, Paul, right? I did it. I went out every day. <laughs> It was funny. We we uh, on a, on Friday uh, we fed our kids uh, uh, little Caesar's pizzas, and then we bought ribeye steaks and ate it. <laughs> they asked if they wanted some. We said no. In your face. Go get a job. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Fail. That dad failing? No. It's called discipline. It's called discipline. Right. But the cost of sin. Right. The cost of sin. We need to understand our cost of sin. For example, think about this. When someone wrongs you in that moment, if, 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 if I wrong Candace, in that moment, I, I owe her something, right? There's a cost to it. There's a debt. And they never forget. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that. Right? But there's a debt. You do something wrong, there is a debt between, uh, between me and Candace. And, and so the, the, there's a debt that has been made. And a forgiveness has to take place. Someone of the two party has to pay the cost. If I do something wrong to you, John, you, there's a debt owed to you, and someone in the party, either me or you, we have to pay the cost. And it, it is just, that is true overall, right? There's a, there's a cost. So let's just say this, like Paul Frank, he has a birthday party. He's having this birthday party. He's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm turning uh, 28, right? <laughs> And, and, and you, you, you invite the cooks over, right? Alan is over, and, and, he, and he, of course, decides to wrestle with his son, CJ, which, is, which happens, okay? If you know Alan and CJ, they're always wrestling. And even though that Carol gave him the stink eye of death, they continue to wrestle, right? They're wrestling and wrestling, and they get carried away and knocked down Paul's prized possession. It's an original Thomas Kincaid. Right? Where he was, he hand painted it. It's worth $2,500. And it was from his mammy. That's right. Your mammy. That's grandma in the south. I don't know what they, southern people. Granny, granny, mammy, nana, whatever. One of those, right? So nana gave you that. And it is your prized possession. And now it is broken. Think about this in this moment. And in that moment, this family heirloom, in that moment, a cost is established in that relationship. Alan has wronged you. Your Kincaid is broken, and it's worth $2,500, Paul. So there is a debt, right? Think about it. There is a debt there is had. And in this moment, two things can happen. You can, number one, make him pay for the cost of his wrestling, right? Or number two, you could forgive him so he doesn't have to pay the cost, right? 
But if you forgive him, what happens to the cost? That's right. He eats it. Right? If you forgive Alan, you have to pay for it. You eat the cost yourself, and, and, and no one's going to pay you back. Right? And who does the Bible say that we have wronged? Who has sinned? Uh, who have we sinned against? It says God, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and that's how the whole thing got started, right? The moment we sin against God, a debt is established. And with that debt, a cost has occurred, right? And what does the Bible say the cost of sin is? Yeah. It says, yeah, that's crazy. It, we say so easily, but feel the weight of that. In Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of our sin, the cost of our sin is death. You're like, what? Jesus, you didn't carry away. We need death, right? That seems too harsh. You wrong God and the cost is death? That's the payment that must be paid to reconcile your relationship with God? That seems too much. It doesn't make sense in our society, right? I'll just try to pay you back, God. And, 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 and we can reconcile. We can work this out. Which leads to me to another question. Why so severe? Why so severe? Why death, right? And, and I, know you, I hope you've asked this question because it seems crazy, right? The ways of sin. Death? Like, couldn't it be like ways of sin is like one day without, like, without, I don't know, like, I'll be good, Jesus. Like, give me a couple days, right? Why death? It's because the bigger the wrong, the bigger the consequence. The bigger the wrong, the bigger the consequence. The payment for sin is determined by the authority and the power of the person that you have wronged. And let me explain this. I'm going to explain this. So all of us have lied, right? Everyone has lied, right? And God says, it says, do not bear false witness. Means don't lie. Don't lie. And you're like, I've never lied. You lied, right? So if you lie to your friend, so I lied to Gino. I'm like, Gino, I really like your hat. And I, it's, yeah, I, you know, I just, I'm just kidding, Gino. And I like your hat. No, I don't. I can't. All right? But what's the cost in that? Like, if, if I lied to Gino, not, maybe not about your hat, but something that's important, I lied to him, I could, there could be consequences. He could get mad at me, or we could even lose our friendship, right? That's the cost of my sin against Gino. And so I lose our friendship. He's mad. And, but that's not that big of a penalty, right? It's bad. It's, it's horrible. But it's not that big of a penalty that I must, like, that I take on because your friend has little power and authority over your life. Now let's take the same sin of lying and let's up the authority. Let's, let's say you lie to your boss and you get caught, right? You get fired, right? Thanks, John. You just, don't work for John. He'll fire you, right? You're fired, right? You up the authority. You do the same sin, but you up the authority in your life. You lose your job, right? You lose that job, and, and that same sin has a little greater consequence. Let's up the authority a little more. You lie to the government, and you commit treason or perjury. What are the consequences of that? You go to jail. Same sin, higher authority, bigger the consequence, right? And it gets a little harsher. So the bigger the authority, the bigger the consequence. Let's up that authority infinitely to the top, right? And God said, don't lie, but, but we've all lied. We've all sinned, wronged God. Now the authority and the power of God, it's infinite, right? And when you lie to an infinite authority, the consequences of your sin must equal to the authority of God. An infinite, holy God, which is death. 
And not just death, but eternal death. And the payment must be paid for the forgiveness that happens between you and God. One of the two parties have to pay the price of death and must die. God had a choice to make. He could make us pay for sin and kill us, or he could pay the payment, come to this earth, become flesh, live a sinless life, take our place, die for the penalty of our sin. And that's what he chose to do. Jesus said, I must suffer and die. I must, I have to. On the night before Jesus actually died, he was with his disciples, his students, and he got bread and he broke it. And the guys have been breaking bread for the Passover dinner for all their lives. But they didn't fully understand what it represented. And he told them, the bread is my body that's broken for you. I have to be broken so that you can be made whole. Then he took the cup and he poured it and he gave them the cup, calling it the cup of the new covenant. And he, and he said, it is a picture of a blood sacrifice poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And then he goes on to pray in the garden. He gets on his hands and knees. And the fullness of the, what he was about to go through is weighing on him. And he's just crying and he's just, he's petitioning. He's just saying, God, is there any other way? In just a few hours, he was going to become sin on our behalf so we could become the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible says. And he would become everyone's sin ever committed. And the weight of that, the weight of that judgment, the weight of the wrath of God was on him. So he cries out, God, is there any other way? I know somebody has to pay the cost, either them or me. But is there another way? God looks at his son and said, there isn't. We have to do it. So Jesus responds, Lord, not my will, but your will be done today. And he walks towards the cross and never looks back again. For six hours, think about this, he hung on the cross, being brutally tortured, humiliated, broken, naked on a cross. Then he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. The payment you could not pay, I have paid in full. And then he died. Three days later, he rose again in victory, conquering death, hell, and the grave forever. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him shall never eternally die, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is what changes our life. That is why we celebrate the cross, even though it's a torture device, right? Every other religion in the world is defined by men and women trying their hardest to pay back God the penalty of sin, to earn their way to God. If I can just 
achieve nirvana, if I can just be good enough, if I can just get there, if I can just work it. The gospel is the exact opposite. God didn't stand there with his arms crossed and say, you know what, maybe you can get there. No, he's saying maybe you can work back to him. He can, instead, he came to us, paid the penalty for us. He took our place and that is the message of the cross that's what we celebrate that is what christianity is at the core it's not all the other things it's not the weird things it's not the snakes that you see on like 2020 or something like that it's not all those crazy things we miss the heart of the gospel when we focus on everything else and say these are the important things this is what you should look like this is how you christians should sing this is how christians should dress we miss it we miss the gospel christians are forgiven by christ and we have changed places that he is broken we are made whole and in our sin we are made righteous to god praise that's the heart of the gospel that's what will set us free. If, if Christianity is a weight on your life, coming to church, it's a drag, doing ministry, serving, and loving people is too hard, that means we have missed the gospel. We missed it. Because if we understand the, the weight of the cross on Jesus about how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, if we understand the cross in that way, we begin to respond back to God in joy. It's a joy to love you. If my wife, because of her love for me, I love her so much more, right? In the beginning, when you get married, you're like, I can't love you anymore. You say the dumbest stuff, right? And immediately you find out how selfish you are, especially in marriage. You're like, I, you know what, babe? It's like, you are, you, you are, you are it. Like, you're gonna change my life. I, I can't live without you. Just say the craziest stuff. And right when you get married, you're like, man, I'm selfish. Because then it reveals more about you. But as you grow in marriage, we're going to be married 14 years this year. Right? And, 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 and it goes up. It goes down. It goes up again. It goes down. And, 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 it, and it's hard. But the longer that I am I'm loved by this woman, I understand. I, 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 I respond with love. And with God, He doesn't want you to respond with works and trying to earn your way back. He wants you to truly understand what the cross is, why the cross is, that He had to die. And once we understand that, once we get a grasp of what that is, and I say it's called the gospel, that's the story of God, and or the cross, and I say it in many ways, but once we grasp that in us, and once God reveals that in us, serving God becomes a joy. Loving others becomes easier. Because loving others is hard. It's hard. I can't believe Candace loves me. Like, that's hard, right? Then you want to love others? That's even harder, right? That's even harder. But our love for others doesn't come from how hard we're working to love others. It comes from how much we understand that God loves us. It is a reflection of joy. And then loving others becomes lighter because you understand the gospel. You've grasped what Jesus has done. That's it, man. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. You want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That's it. You're responding to the cross. You're responding to the love of God. It's not about a person that tries their hardest to follow rules and regulation, but hides from God when they don't. And that's what we do. When you, become, when you start to hide from God, when you're not doing good, you know you already have a wrong view of God. Because if you understood God and how much He loved you, you would run to Him in, the, in these moments. I would run to Him, but guess what? I do. My heart's the same thing. I'm like, oh, jeez, I'm horrible today. I better 
hide from God like I could, right? It's weird. It's like playing hide and seek with your like two-year-old. You see them, right? Just because they hide their face on a pillow doesn't mean you don't see them. I think we do that with God. Like he doesn't, he doesn't see me anymore, right? Instead, run to God. Christianity is Jesus. That He came. He paid the penalty in sin for in, in fullness and all of our sin, all of it, all of it. All of it, everything you can think of, all of it, from now, from our present, to our past, to our future, all of it is paid in full. And the moment that you trust Him, He will fill your heart with His Holy Spirit, and it will grow like a seed until the moment you breathe your last breath and wake up in the glory of God. I don't know what that day is going to be. I'm sure I'm going to be scared, according to the Bible. But we see God face to face. But I want to ask us now, how will you respond to Jesus today? Let's stand. That's the gospel. That's simple. And Jesus loves you so much and if you can grasp it, it will change your life and change the way you view the rest of your life. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, let's just bow our heads. Just think about the cross for a moment. It is a literal cross. It's a literal torture device. That the wrath of God can be totally poured on you so that the righteousness of God, the blessings of God, the goodness of God can be poured on us. That's the gospel. And it should spring up if you get a grasp of that. God, just like we were talking about last week, open our eyes just a little bit more, God, so we can see you. I pray right now, if you can even say that under your breath, open our eyes just a little more so we can see you. The gospel becomes joy. There's some of us in this room that we need to confess Jesus as Messiah, Son of the living God. Now, we can't do it for you, but I pray that if God is moving in your heart, moving in your life, and you sense the Holy Spirit, and He's drawing you to Him, not out of, you got to, but out of love, it is a response of love, that you, even under your breath or out loud, would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, because that confession will unleash Jesus, who will show you who He is, His Spirit, His power in your life. And then that from that moment, that's where we commit to Him. We don't commit to our feelings. We commit to Him because we're safest in the hands of God. Heavenly Father, I pray for the rest of us for this week, God. We give our lives to You, God. I pray if they're a Christian, Lord God, we commit our lives even deeper as we understand the gospel more, God. I pray we don't stop seeking. We don't, we don't stop and say, now I see you, Lord God. Let us know we're blind and now we see just a little bit, God. And show us a little bit more and we just say, God, we love you, Lord God. Serving you is a joy, Lord God, when we get the right frame of heart and mind, God. I pray, waking us up, Lord God, from our slumber. And I pray for those who have not made you Lord. I pray that they have not made you Savior, Messiah. I pray they would question that this week, God. They would think about it. They would really question it when weighing in their life. It's not this easy thing that we weave in and out of. It is a commitment of our hearts, God. 
I pray that be our desire today. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 That's the cross. Give God praise. I ask you to listen to that once again. Try to listen to it a couple times this week. It's on our Facebook. It's on, on our website. It's on our app. If you don't have the app, download the app. But just listen to it a couple more times. Because I want you to take hold of what the cross is. Amen? God bless you guys. Get to know some people. Get in the group. And, uh, and serve. God, God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.